0: Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, I want to talk about three misconceptions about professional work that hold PhDs back in their job search. In a survey we conducted of graduate students and recent PhDs last year, 57% worried that their work in life would have less meaning, and an equal number worried that they would not be intellectually engaged if they pursued a non-academic career. As I've spoken about before on, on the podcast, a lot of these fears are driven by negative assumptions about the nature of non-academic work in the absence of any evidence. But I want to talk today about three of the most common myths that I see keeping PhDs back in their job search. Now, the first one it's going to take me a while to get through it, and it's a personal pet peeve, but negative assumptions about business. In academia, we, business is a four-letter word. And there are so many negative assumptions about business that I should probably just spend an entire episode or four just on this topic. But focus, focus, Marin, focus. Okay. When I speak with PhDs about their job search criteria, they'll often start by telling me that they're really interested in finding work in a nonprofit. And then I say, well, wait, hold up. Why a nonprofit? And the person will usually say it's because they want to do good or make a positive impact. You know, they just don't want to work for business or they don't want to work for a corporation or they don't want to go into industry. And again, it's all said like business, industry, private sector are all negative, dirty words. And there's just an assumption in academia that business means the opposite. That being in business means that you're destructive or greedy or out to destroy the world when it just simply isn't true. Um, you know, we're not all Scrooge McDucks out here. For-profit and nonprofits are just tax statuses. They don't tell you anything about the nature of the organization. Right? Lobby organizations like the NRA can be registered as nonprofits, but that doesn't mean that their work is good or that their mission aligns with your values. So what can you actually tell about an organization based on its tax status? Well, that's just it. It tells you if it pays taxes or on any of its profit, or if it is required to take any excess revenue, which is profit, and reinvest it back in the organization. And what's really interesting is most businesses do that, right? Very few businesses actually make a lot of profit. Most businesses make about 8% of their revenue as profit, and they usually try and reinvest that back into the business. So everyone has revenue, right? Revenue is money that comes in, through the sale of products and services or, and, or grants or donations. But everyone has revenue or, in the case of universities, tuition dollars. Everyone needs to have revenue in order to keep the lights on. Nonprofits, what makes them different from for-profit companies is they can apply for donation and grants, but they also sell products and services. And so for a for-profit company, they tend to focus on selling products and services and were they to get something like a donation, quote-unquote, from another for-profit company, It usually comes in the form of sponsorships or partnerships. So that's when one organization gives money to another business for a strategic goal or purpose. And we do this at Beyond Prof. We have strategic partnerships, and sometimes um, people will give money because they support what we do. And that's an advertising expense and a business write-off as opposed to a charitable donation, also a business write-off, right? So there's lots of ways in which organizations can give money to both for-profit and non-profits depending on what the goal of the organization is. For-profit companies, usually corporations, and nonprofit companies also all have boards of director who oversee the operations of the organization and make sure that it is meeting its mandate. And nonprofit and for-profit companies have CEOs and COOs and project managers and marketers. You may have a fundraiser instead of a business development officer, but the goal still is to bring in new revenue. Um... And many of the jobs that you're going to find in a for profit company, you're going to find in a nonprofit and vice versa. So that's about it. A tax status doesn't suddenly make the work good or moral or better. It simply says the organization has elected a certain tax status, and plenty of not great organizations can be nonprofit. The other important piece of this to remember is that only one in 10 jobs in the private sector are at nonprofits. So if you think that you can only do good at a nonprofit, you're missing out on 90% of the opportunities. And you're also suggesting that 90% of people employed in the private sector are driven only by profit and greed. And like, that's just simply not true. Think of all the causes you support, the organizations you donate donate money to. Most people giving to those organizations or supporting those causes, people who vote like you and share your values, are working at for-profit companies. So to be anti-business is to write off most people most organizations and most products and services that you come into contact with every single day. And it's to dismiss and write off the values and motivators of the people who deliver those products and services. And the sort of blanket assumption about business just lacks nuance. In our conference, we were talking about how when you translate your academic work experience from for jobs in industry, you could potentially refer to students as customers. And an attendee was horrified. And I get this all the time. You know, and they say, well, it's just awful that students are considered customers. It's just such a condemnation of higher education that students have become customers. And the question is, well, why? What is inherently bad about being a customer? It's only bad if you've decided that being a customer is a bad thing. And when, you know, you're at Whole Foods or, you know, on hold with your bank and you're a customer, I suspect that you don't think being a customer is bad. What you probably don't like, and what nobody likes, is entitled people thinking that they purchased something that they didn't. A student paid tuition, which gives them access to classes, but it doesn't mean that they've purchased an A. They've confused the product and service for which they've paid. And, you know, like, I also hate entitled customers, right? People complain or send us, you know, mean tweets or unsolicited emails, you know, being upset that we charge money for products and services or upset that the institution is supporting a. A private company. And like, I get it. There are just bad customers everywhere. I don't like that either. But there are many good things about business. And essentially, a business about, is about people coming together to solve problems and improve society. They innovate ways to lessen suffering, extend life, bring joy, protect people, bring us products and services that we enjoy or want, help us to connect with each other. You know, I don't think that you'd be opposed to innovation. I suspect what you oppose is the way that capitalism creates huge inequalities between the rich and the poor. And but you wouldn't want to assume that all businesses are okay, are okay with that reality because you'll miss out on businesses that are actually for example trying to build low-cost, high-powered and cheap laptops or cell phones to help people in low-resource communities communities access the web or the private public partnerships to bring bro- broadband to the rural south or Apps designed to help people read or improve nutrition. You know, for example, my little brother has just started an ostrich farm uh, because ostrich, he tells me, is a high-quality protein source and that has way less of an environmental impact than beef or pork. So he's really excited about this because he lives in Alberta, which has a, a high percentage of the industry focuses on the beef industry. So he's looking for ways to grow a business to combat environmental the environmental destruction of animal products. And, you know, Beyond Profit is a business started because of a huge need, which is to help PhDs transition from academia to the private sector. So what drives people in industry? you got to ask them. That's what informational interviews will help you understand. People are driven to solve problems, make a difference, or make an impact, and they do this through a whole variety of organizations, not just nonprofits. I was recently chatting with a PhD in performance studies who now works at a top real estate company in New York. And you know what he loves about his job? And he's in sales. He loves his job. He helps people find the right home. He's there through one of the most difficult, vulnerable moments where people are making one of the most expensive decisions they'll ever make. And he likes to help people make the right decision, find the right property. Help them through the negotiation process. He gets to help people find their homes, and he loves it. And by the way, he also makes a ton of money, which allows him to write and direct in his spare time. And oh, because maybe you're in academia, spare time is like this thing where you—it's a space between work and not work, between your work days and your not not work days. It's one of those things that you get to have when you uh, move out of academia and move into the private sector except if you start your own company and then you'll work all the time. So I've talked a lot on this podcast about how how academic culture benefits from us believing that the work in higher ed is better or superior and how academic culture, higher ed, benefits from us sacrificing and suffering, you know, from us assuming that academia is a calling and that we should therefore do whatever it takes to be successful. And part of this sacrifice and suffering is this idea that the work in academia is more pure than non-academic work, you know, and like, it's not, I mean, a university at universities, people exchange money, tuition for services, education, or, you know, now people talk about experiences, right? Like they're selling an experience. You don't want just a service. You want an experience. Well, that's what undergraduate education in the United States is. It's an experience that people pay thousands of dollars for. And an entire apparatus has grown up on college campuses to deliver that service and experience. And we can debate what that experience should look like and who should pay for that experience. Should it be more tax dollars instead of directly paid by the individual? But at the end of the day, fundamentally, a university needs to attract students to its campus to generate revenue. It needs to attract talent to teach the students. And it needs to be able to differentiate itself from, the inst- from other institutions, its competitors. So this isn't maybe a bad thing or a good thing. It's, it's a thing. It's, a, it's a fundamentally the world that we live in. And it's only because academia has decided that the exchange of money for services is somehow bad, that it somehow taints things. But you're doing it, right? Every time you teach a class, you're exchanging services for money. So in reality, the work in higher ed is not separate from the work that's happening in a business or a goals of the business. The goal of both a higher education institution and the goal of a business is to find talent and the right customers for their products or services. And here's the other thing. Sometimes people assume that being focused on, a, on business or being in a for-profit company means all that you care about is the bottom line. And there's a lot of really great quotes from successful business people who will point out the fact that if you're focused on making money, you're going to have a crappy business. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Successful businesses identify a need or a problem that needs to be solved, and they provide a unique product, service, or experience. And if they're unable to do that, if they're unable to add value, then they cease to exist. Think about a hair salon. A hair salon that's only focused on making money is going to be a pretty crappy experience for the customer. Instead, salons focus on an experience. What does the salon look like? What additional products or services does it sell? What's the music like? Do you get free tea or water? Do you get wine? You know, why, who do they hire as stylists? Because you want, to, you want to attract the right kind of customer and you need to differentiate yourself from all the other hair salons in Denver, Colorado. And people who need your products or services need to also enjoy that experience of interacting with your business. And if you focus on that, if you offer a premium experience that that enough customers can afford, then you make revenue and ultimately a profit. But if you focus just on money, if you assume that businesses just care about profit, well, that's a pretty crappy business because most businesses are actually focused on the customer. And almost everything and everyone you interact with on a daily basis is a product or out of the private sector. Your food, your clothes, your car, the, the ear pods you're using to listen to this episode and, you know, it's not necessarily bad. There are bad aspects of business and we should focus on those, but we shouldn't eliminate all of business and assume that we can't be happy in the private sector unless we're in a nonprofit. And it's, you know, a naive to assume that nonprofits do good or all nonprofits do good and all, non, and all businesses are bad. You have to find an organization that's going to be a right alignment for your values. And you will be able to find those In some of them, in the non nonprofit sector, sector although there'll be few, and much more of them in the private sector or in industry. End rant. But that's one that people really need to focus on because it it's so destructive, because it cuts people off from some of the best jobs and best opportunities out there. Okay, so the second assumption or misconception about professional work that holds PhDs back is that. You know, people are going to care about your PhD. And I, I try not to be too critical of universities and departments because, I, you know, I think that their education is important and I think graduate education is important. But sometimes there's a messaging that happens within universities about the nature of the PhD, right? This idea that like, here are our alumni that are doing great things with their PhD, or here's what you can do with your PhD. Uh, And they're often taking credit for very difficult career transitions that people are doing, sort of despite the fact they have a PhD. And that's sort of the nuance that's missing from those conversations. Other than a handful of biological life science disciplines, no one's really looking for a PhD, right? People aren't doing jobs with their PhDs. They're leveraging their education wherever smart people are needed, but they're not necessarily like doing that with their PhD. Non-academic employers hire people based on a combination of knowledge, skills, and abilities, not on credentials. So if you develop that knowledge, skill, and ability, as some people do earning degrees in biological life sciences that have a direct translation into industry, well, then people will hire you because, not because you have a PhD, but because earning the PhD gave you that combination of knowledge, skills, and abilities. A PhD means you've done a, very, a, a certain kind of work in a very specific industry. It can't prove that you can do any job or that you have skills for all the jobs. The second misconception then is that, you know, the PhD is a thing that people will care about, that people will hire you for your degree or that they'll be excited to hire you for your PhD. Um, There's sort of an idea that the PhD leapfrogs you past people who have taken, who don't have a PhD but have bachelor's degrees and several years of experience, and it doesn't. A PhD means you've done a certain kind of work in a very specific industry, right? That's it. And you have to pair that PhD with experiential learning or work experience. And when you do that, then you take off. But the PhD is not enough. We see a lot of PhDs who start entry level and after getting three or more years of experience, move up very quickly within an organization. And it's not because the PhD gives them superpowers. It's that the combination of your work experience while earning your degree or teaching or as a postdoc combined with now your industry knowledge will allow you to accelerate and move up the ranks very quickly, essentially helping you catch up to people who are of similar age who got FBAs or MAs and then went right into uh, industry. It doesn't mean you're going to leapfrog them, right? Because they have more knowledge and experience uh, in that industry than you have. Um, but it does mean that your education and the skills that you've developed, earning your degree, have application in, in industry, but you have to pair it with that industry knowledge and some of that experience in order to really be successful. So this can be a real crushing realization for many PhDs. I was talking to a woman from Harvard who had a PhD and she was having difficulty finding her job and her family would kept saying, well, you have a PhD from Harvard? And she says, yes, I know, but no one cares right? I don't have the work experience. I don't have the connections. I don't have the knowledge. And so she really had to hustle to, uh, to create networks, to get linear work experience, to get contract works in order to be able to move into a non-academic career, which she was able to do successfully. But you know, just because you have a PhD from an elite university doesn't mean that someone is going to hire you because you have that degree. They're going to hire you because you're the right fit for the organization you have knowledge and experience and talent that they're looking for, and they're looking for that alignment. In some industries, like in consulting, it, you know, it can be very exciting to hire PhDs, companies like that. Not because, again, the PhD gives people superpowers, but there is a perception that putting a PhD on a problem means that you've brought the best and brightest. And so they can leverage your credentials basically to charge customers more. Um, and so they like to hire PhDs in some sectors. But you're going to probably have to go through a rigorous training to move into something like data science, again, an area where they value PhDs or consulting. Um, There's a lot of training that goes into that because you need that knowledge and experience, that knowledge combined with experience and your skills in order to be successful. So this brings me to my final thought, which is you got to remember that your plan B was someone else's plan A. Because academia is so divorced from other professional workspaces, too many PhDs are unaware of how technical and specialized most professional careers are. You know, so I'll talk to people who are saying, I'll go, I'm going to go on the academic job market, but my plan B is, and when they tell me their plan B, I think, gosh, that's actually a really difficult career field to break into. Like people spend decades learning how to be, you know, effective marketers, and then they move into science communication. Like that's not something you're going to just do overnight. You've got to plan for it. You know, uh, PhDs that move into data science tend to need to take a boot camp to land entry-level positions. Marketing is specialized, incredibly specialized career field that combines narrative, storytelling, psychology, statistics, human behavior, graphic design, web design, and strategy. It's a steep learning curve. UX research uses techniques similar to social science research, but it's also very different. And, and that's just the specific job, right? There's also business culture that you also need to learn, uh, that's very different from academic culture. Just remember that, there, that there's so much that goes into becoming an academic. And there's just as much work that goes into becoming a professional. And while you've been, been busy becoming an expert in your career field, other professionals have become experts in their career field. And that PhD, again, is, it's not a substitution for linear work experience or direct industry knowledge in most other career fields. Now, this is maybe going to sound really discouraging where you're like, well, great, thanks, Marin. So I just did my PhD and spent five years teaching. Honest, that's brutal. And I get it. But the point of this is that you need to develop a strategy to read yourself into a new career field. And you need to remember that hundreds, if not thousands of PhDs do this every year. There's nothing special about them. They just do the work. It's hard, sure, but you can do it. There are online courses or certifications you can take less because people will care about the certifications and more just to help you learn the language of industry. There are internships or job shadowing opportunities that you can maybe look into, you know, jump on some podcasts, take LinkedIn LinkedIn learning courses, find entry level positions or contract work. You got to read yourself into the field. That's the thing that's holding you back. Right? If you're struggling in your job search, it's probably because you're well maybe because you're not networking. But if you're networking and you're getting interviews but you're not landing jobs, it's probably because you've got to get experience. You've got to fill that gap. And the good news is you have the skills to do this. You read yourself into a career field already once, becoming an academic. So you can do it again. But you have to apply the skills you've developed while earning your degree to learn that professional body of knowledge. Right? You can't assume that someone's going to give you a job to learn it. You've got to learn some of it, find opportunities to apply it, to develop that portfolio. And then people will hire you. And again, you'll move up quickly through through the ranks. So this isn't to say that, you know, your time in graduate school or or as a postdoc or a faculty member was a waste of time, although it can feel like that when you're actively job searching for a new career. But you just gotta step back and take stock of what you've learned, what your skills are, independent of your specific subject matter expertise. Remember, like almost no one cares that I did a PhD in early American print culture. In fact, I can't even remember what it was. What did I do my PhD in? History. No one really cares that I did my PhD in history. you got to think about how you add value in new spaces. And really, you'll do most of this through informational interviews, which I talk about all the time, but they are the best. Reach out to people who work in industry to overcome any bias you might have about the private sector. You'll ask what energizes them and motivates them, what va- what they value in their work, what is the mission of their organization, what are they trying to achieve. You'll ask in informational interviews for suggestions on how you can learn more about their career field. You know, what kind of courses or certifications or meetups should you attend? And you'll ask if they know of any opportunities to help you gain direct experience in that career field. So don't ask for a job. Just ask them, you know, do you know of any opportunities? I I really would like to get some direct experience. Through your network, you can overcome these three misconceptions. and yeah you got to do it through networking. So get out there and get started. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.